Okay, good morning, ladies. Thanks for coming again to this new, um, I'm trying to figure out how to put this back in my pocket. How is this not turning off? I don't want to put it on in my pocket. <laughs> can't, can't you just turn the screen off? All of this nonsense is being recorded. Oh, that's her phone. I know, I did that. Okay, I'll just stick it. I just don't want to hit something. Yeah, it, oh. There's the button. All the women that are tech savvy here. I know. I did the same thing. I did the same thing. Okay, so thanks for coming again. And um, looks like uh, there's some fruit. Gals, we're going to get started. Uh, looks like uh, Shelly has some fruit out in the um, lobby. Sorry about the coffee. I think we've been going through a lot of coffee. And Meredith, how are you? Um, yeah, so this has been uh, fun. We're going to do a little bit of review because we covered a lot of material last week, didn't we? So feel free if you want to get up and get some decaf coffee or some, <laughs> or some tea or some um, fruit. But let's, uh, how many of you were able to make it to the Seder? Fun, fun. Able to, you, went, you were at the Seder. Yeah. Is there anything um, new that you, uh, that you learned? I mean, it, it's, some of it's all new for some of us, but anything interesting that stuck out to you at the Seder? The, the, just the way it all affects us as believers. It's one big story. And uh, anything else? I really like him when he shares his moments with faith. I thought that was particularly, I mean, also the aspect that like, in, among the Jewish community, the New Testament can be sometimes seen as anti-Semitic and there's a fear of reading it or they're not allowed to read it. Right, right. There's a great website, the Jews for Jesus website, it is all about how to um, reach uh, the Jewish people. And so there's a lot. Yeah, it's different the way you interact with different people. I just got a book, and it's a uh, it's a terrible name. It's called um, How. Um, how to something reach or something the damned, which has to do with people who are in prison. Like how do you minister to people who are in prison for life without hope? And it's a whole, there's, so there's different ways that you reach different uh, people. Yeah, that's cool. All right, so let's review a little bit from last week. I, I had said earlier, I don't know, we're, we're recording this, so if anybody has a question, I'm going to repeat the question. But uh, the thing that I wanted to just go over, review a little bit what we learned last week, and then we're going to pick up some new things this week. So let's talk about the spring. Obviously, we just celebrated uh, the, the Seder. What were the three spring feasts that we uh, talked about last week? Passover. Unleavened bread, and then the first fruits, yes. And then uh, 50 days later, 
we had the Feast of Weeks, which was changed to Pentecost. So the uh, Feast of Weeks was 50 days later. You had the, uh, the giving of the law on Mount Sinai. And then um, 50 days after Jesus was uh, resurrected, you had the giving of the Holy Spirit. So those are the spring feasts, the fall feasts. Do you remember what the fall feasts were? Tab Feast of Tabernacles. Uh -huh. The first one started with uh, the shofar. The Feast of Trumpets. Uh -huh. And that lasted for 10 days. That was when you were preparing for the Syrian. The Day of Atonement. I don't know when that one comes in because that wasn't one of the original um, feasts. Purim Tell is me. Just another way to say Day of Atonement. <laughs> I thought it, I'm thinking of um, Purim. Isn't that the one with Esther? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm thinking about Yom, Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. And so the one um, I say it Purim. Is that how you say it, Purim? We okay. That's, um, that, was, that was a whole another one that was celebrated later. Okay, great. We have so much to cover. We are going to get into concepts. We're not going to deal today with the, uh, all the very specifics of the blood. We're just going to talk in general because you know where to find all the specifics if you need to know how the blood was applied. It's all in, um, in the Old Testament, and there's very specific things. But as I'm thinking through what I want you to know for one, uh, one year from now, the, the specific parts of how the blood were applied to the altar, is, it's not something that you're going to remember. The thing I want you to remember is the concept, what did the blood represent? Okay, so we're going to go through concepts today not necessarily all the different um, detailed um, because <laughs> sometimes it's different. It's like, well, on the Day of Atonement, you did this, you did it this way. And there was so many different ways. I just think it's too much to remember. So we're going to go through some of the terms uh, that, we, that we brought up last week so that we're going to introduce those again this week. So we talked about when um, the Bible says to remember, it's talking about your identity. Remember who you are. It's not just, oh, remember that that happened. It's like Jesus died so that you can be in a relationship with God. And what are you going to do about that? It's the concept of remembering, having to do with remember because that happened, who you are and what you're going to do about it. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit more. We, the substitution last week, we talked about a life for a life. Remember, the life of the, uh, of the sacrifice represents the life of the um, person that's making the sacrifice. And then we talked a little bit about the part that represents the whole thing. So you'll, when, we do some of, when we talk about some of the grain offerings, they took a part of that as a representative of the whole thing and it was burned, and then the priest got the rest. So that's another concept that's going to come up. I hope it's going to be a little bit of review for you in that. If you have uh, more questions, there, there's a lot of really great Bible resources online that you can look up. So I mentioned the Jews for Jesus website. 
um, some of the stuff that I, I, I did, I reviewed a lot of different commentaries, but one of them online, the Baker Evangelical Dictionary, has a lot more about sacrifices online if you want to read that. There's another website, just Bible.org, has a lot of really great articles. So normally what I'll do is I'll Google what specifically I want to look for, and then I look for the websites that I know are going to be trustworthy. So you can always go and look. There's so much here we're going to go through. Let's talk a little bit about the sacrificial system just in general. So in the ancient Near East, <clears throat> they, everyone did sacrifices. This wasn't new. I think growing up as a child, I thought this was just something unique that the, the Jewish people did. But everyone uh, made sacrifices. So with a small g, gods, all, we'll talk about what the gods meant to the people in the ancient Near East. And remember how I said the, that God goes into every community and can redeem what they're doing? This is, um, this is what the sacrificial system is. The people were already making sacrifices. And so God's taking this and saying, here's how it's going to represent me. So uh, you had the people would uh, make offerings to their gods because they didn't know. It's how they made sense of the world. They didn't know why the sun went up in the morning and what, what, then it would leave. And so they would make sacrifices, like we better sacrifice so that the sun comes back up. So they had a sun god. There was a god for everything. This was interesting to me. Remember when Nehemiah went and was able to rebuild the wall around the temple area? And I was like, why would another, um, someone who else is in charge who didn't believe in this god Yahweh, why would he allow him to do that? Well, because every god was important. Like, whatever your god is, we want you to keep your god happy. And so... They were like, yes, you go, do what you need to do. You keep your God happy. The gods were kind of localized, too. So uh, whatever gods were part of this community here, it didn't necessarily transfer to another community because they had their own stories of how things worked and, and what made the gods happy, why it rained. They would, uh, they would actually give their gods, remember it was like a little statue or something. They would actually give their gods like a bath. They would feed their gods. It was a whole ritualistic system. When they would offer burnt offerings um, to the, the false gods, it would be as if, this is how, how else would you feed a statue? It was, that was the food that they were feeding it. They thought that they would not, um, and keep thinking liquefied, not that you would liquefy it, but you, you know, you'd burn it, and that would be what the God would eat. So this was nothing new uh, to, the, to the people of Israel, but God, when he gave the law, he said, okay, here's how we're going to do it, here's how, and this is what it's going to mean. So th those are the things that we're learning today. So we talked about the, the feasts last week. This is what they did at the feast. They did the sacrifices. So on the sheets on your, I put on your table, one of them talks about all the different sacrifices, like the sheer number of sacrifice of, of animals that needed to be sacrificed. So just so you had an idea of 
this, there was a lot of blood. There was, I don't know how, <laughs> I don't know how they dealt with that. I have, um, we studied a little bit of this in uh, my book club one time, and there's two gals in my book club who just cannot deal with blood. And uh, one, the, one couldn't actually read the book that, uh, that talked about the sacrifices because she was just like, there's too much blood. She couldn't do it. So I don't know how they did it back in the day. But all these sacrifices were a symbolic way to uh, be in a relationship with God. And I don't think I knew growing up that the different sacrifices each had a different specific meaning for how you could relate to God. I just, it just all kind of lumps into one category for me. So that's why I thought it was really important that we could talk it through. So all this, this whole sacrificial system that we're going to talk about had to do with covenant making, covenant keeping, and, co and renewing the covenant. So all that, guess what we're going to do next week? We'll talk about the covenant. It all relates how we did, we talked about the festivals. This is what they did at the, or the feasts. This is what they did at the feasts. And then we're going to talk about why they did it. So that's um, how we picked the three topics that we're getting into. So we talked a little bit last week about a symbol and a type. And I ran across a great defi definition. The Bible is filled with symbols. And the symbols would be, um, a, a, a symbol would have a, few, a spiritual meaning. So like when Jesus says, I am the bread, it's a, it's a spiritual meaning. And it's like a one-to-one -one concept. So a symbol has a spiritual meaning. And then a type in the Bible has a future spiritual meaning. So that's a great way to remember that. Symbols, it just, the symbol has a um, spiritual meaning. And a type, like the priesthood, that had a future spiritual meaning because um, the priesthood were the mediators between God and man. And so Jesus, uh, so that was a type of Christ. So all of the sacrificial system is kind of both. There's a symbol for it, and it's all a type of Christ, what Christ did for us. So that's just to review a little bit as we talk about some of these symbols and what they mean. So the, the sacrificial system, uh, this is the definition that I found that I love, is a means of grace. It's a means of grace by which the relationship with God begins to be restored. So if sin separates you from God, how do you restore that? Well, he gives you the way that you can um, restore the relationship with God. And that's all about what a covenant is. A covenant is the way that you are in relationship with God. The whole Bible is about the old covenant and the new covenant. Now, part of this is confusing. That's why I said we're going to talk about categories. And it made me think of when I first moved to Illinois, I was 18 years old. And the thing that confused me most were the road systems. Because every road has like two names. Right? And so that was confusing. OK, so that's going to be a little bit about the, some, of the, um, some of the sacrifices. They're going to have a couple different names. And so I thought of even a more confusing thing is if you talk about a highway, there's so many different names for a highway. I could, I could tell you, um, you know, just take 90. But then 90 turns into 
290 or 294. I don't know. I forget. 9094. Um, let's see. But so it's not a freeway that because you pay for it, so that's a tollway. And um, but if you live in a small town, you might say, oh, you just take the main highway. But we're all talking about a road, right? I remember one time I was visiting my parents in Florida, and I was taking like the shuttle bus, and the guy comes over the speaker and he says, now when we when we get off the turnpike, that would be a good time for you to call your you know, whoever you need to call. And I thought, if I only knew what a turnpike was, <laughs> I would know when to call. Well, it's just a highway. It's their name for, so there's so many different ways that you can explain this. And that's going to be a little bit about the sacrificial system. Okay, so we're just going to cover, is this, if this is your first introduction to it, we're going to cover uh, some of the basics. As you guys looked over your homework, did you have any thoughts on the, when I said, just kind of write down what you know about the sacrificial system. Did you have anything? Um, what, did you th what did you think of immediately? Blood. It's gross. <laughs> There's lots of blood. Yeah? And very detailed and very overwhelming. The blood running all the time, detailed and overwhelming. That's a good, that's a good, did anybody have anything else? That's a really good, I think that, that would have been my feeling too. Yeah. Thank you for Jesus. We just have, we have one, one, one way rather than all these different detailed ways to do it. All right, let's talk a little bit about the priests. So here's a thing that I learned in the last few years as I was going through the Old Testament I did not realize that it was not God's original design to have the priests from the tribe of Levi. So originally, if you look on, on your verse sheet, I think it might be the first three verses. In Exodus, uh, originally it says, You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, Exodus 19.6. So that was the plan a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Remember at the Passover, <clears throat> excuse me, when uh, each, each um, head of the household, they acted as the priest. Remember when they did the sacrificial system? Well, then you had the whole incident of the, of the calf and um, at Mount Sinai, the golden calf. And the people were very afraid of God. And so they said, listen, God, you speak, or to Moses, I'm sorry, the people said, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us. So then, it, and further on in Numbers, this is the verse that caught me off guard. It says, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, behold, I have taken the Levites among the people, because those were the people that stood up for God in the golden calf incident, and the Levites shall be mine. Uh, it says, let me read 12 again. Behold, I have taken the Levites from among the people of Israel instead of the firstborn. So remember, God claimed the firstborn at Passover, and um, he still has a claim on the firstborn. So now what happens is the people have to go and redeem their firstborn. So the tribe of Levi, they are the priests. Aaron des Aaron's descendants are the high priest. And uh, they didn't own any land. They, they didn't grow crops. Really, they took care of, the, they took care of all the 
um, sacrifices and the temple. They did, it was very detailed and it was a lot of work and there was a lot of priests needed. For example, if you, um, I read this in one of my commentaries, if you sacrificed a goat, you would need at least six priests to bring the, all the pieces up. We'll talk about how, uh, a little, who did what part. But if you had a ram, you would need 12, because obviously it's bigger, and you've got to bring them up and arrange them. If you had a bull, you would need 24 priests to help. And so I guess in my mind, always it's one priest, but there's always priests. This is what they're doing. They're helping with the system. So they are the mediators between God and man. They were the ones that would say when the sacrifice was um, atoned for on the altar. So they would just be God's voice to tell you that your, um, your sin was atoned for. Now, so you could, you could come and um, you had to come and redeem. A firstborn from the flock was given to them. Because if you look on your chart of how many, you had morning and evening sacrifices. So the, uh, the priests had to have animals. So some of them would have been types of shepherds that would have taken care of the animals. So morning and evening, uh, that's what some of the, the uh, flock was used for, the sacrifices. And then... For your firstborn son, you would redeem it with um, money. And that would be basically like you think of now how we um, give our salaries to our pastors. You bring your tithe, your first um, fruits of what you have as representing the whole thing, your whole, everything that we have belongs to God. And that's how the pastors are taken care of. It's a, it's a similar system. <coughs> Sorry, my throat is dry today. So that's a little bit about the priests. They were all from the tribe of Levi. Did you guys look up how the camp was organized? One of the things on your sheet was to look up how the camp was organized. So you have this whole tribe of Levi, um, and it made me think, well, how, you know, wh what did the camp look like? And I was surprised how organized it was, if you, if you can pull up. A chart of it. Uh, I think I wrote this in your notes for last week. A really great way, if you find a great chart online that's um, a Bible chart, you can make like a little Pinterest tab and put all your Bible charts in there. That is a great way to do that without printing it off. Some other, I was going to print off um, some of the uh, things about the sacrifices. They don't always print off well. They make it now so um, it's somebody's intellectual property. So I thought, you know what, that's a great thing. If you want to look more about the specific ways the blood is applied, you can get a chart and put it in your Pinterest file, and then you've always got it. All right. Let's talk a little bit about clean and unclean, because that's a concept that we um, will get into when we talk about the sin sacrifice. So um, there were certain animals that they um, God declared clean, that they could bring for sacrifices. And here, I love this. It's like, well, how, why are some animals considered clean, some unclean? In Leviticus 20, it says, I am the Lord your God who has separated you from the people. So Israel, he's like, I, you're mine. I'm taking you for mine. Verse uh, 25 says, 
you shall therefore separate the clean beast from the unclean. That was it. Just God chose. Just like I chose Israel, therefore, there's, we've got clean and we've got unclean. So it was just a distinction that there were certain things that were acceptable to God and certain things that weren't. So that's a little bit about the animals. Now, when we talk about people, uh, we, uh, maybe we shouldn't say we, I very often would assume if someone was unclean, it had to do with sin. That's not necessarily the case. So think about after childbirth. Mary had to bring um, a sin sacrifice. It was, this was a very specific one, a purification um, sacrifice. It's not necessarily sin. The, the fact of the matter is the reason that we have sickness in the world is because there's sin in the world, okay? So if um, a leper could not, could not worship in the temple because he was unclean. It wasn't because of any specific sin that he did. It was simply because he, in his, not that the, anything is ever perfect, but he wasn't, he wasn't perfect be, to come before God. So it seems a little bit harsh, but this was um, God's, this was the way that God showed the people, you just can't come into God's presence. I imagine there was an element of hygiene in there too, that you just can't have people that are sick getting this whole camp of people um, sick, and so they made provision for that. But at every, um, every person at one point was unclean, because sometimes it just had to do with you know, bodily fluids. It's just, it, it's a sign of your humanity and you had to wait till evening to um, go through the purification ritual. We're not going to talk about that. But one of the sacrifices specifically had, did not necessarily have to do with sin other than the fact that the only reason we have sickness in the world is because of sin in the world. So in that, in that way, that kind of affects us all. So. That's a little bit about the clean and unclean, which we'll talk about when we get to the sin sacrifice. Uh, it's possible that it, it just also showed that you needed to be in a state of readiness and prepared to go and worship. Couldn't be distracted. You couldn't just like all of a sudden go. I, I um, used to attend a service on Saturday night, and I always remember... You know, you were at the mall earlier in the day, and you were just doing whatever you're doing, and then you're just going to worship. And it always felt like a little disjointed. Like I didn't prepare my heart for worship, or just all of a sudden I'm at, um, at the service. I think, you know, that's a little bit of God says, you need to, you need to think about this and be prepared for, for worship. You can't just come in to, um, to meet God anyway. Now, of course, that was the system back in... In this day, I think we can take the principle. It's not, it's, there, obviously there's no rule anymore for preparing your heart, but it's a really great principle that I think that we can, we can get from this. Uh, let's see, what was the verse? Oh, the other thing I was going to tell you about was when we think about this whole um, purification system, <coughs> What was Jesus' first miracle? 
water into wine. Which the important part about that story is, what were the jars that were used to, that, ha that were holding the water? Do you remember? They were, they were the purification jars. It was the water that they were using uh, when they had to, sometimes you could just wash your hands um, for purification. So when Jesus is turning that water into wine, what's the symbol of the wine? Jesus' blood. He's saying there's going to be a better purification system coming. It was a sign of things to come. So remember the symbol of the blood always has to do with Jesus purifying you. Okay, <clears throat> let's, well, I'm going to talk about blood uh, as we think about it being purifying. Because <laughs> I know with Meredith, like if you're getting ready some meat to prepare for dinner, <laughs> you're not really feeling like that's super purifying, like you're going to rub it all over you. That's not, <laughs> well, well, <laughs> uh, but there is a way that we can think about the way that the blood purifies us. But before we talk about that, let's just talk about just general information about the sacrifices. I, like I said, I didn't realize not all the sacrifices were for sin. There's one that is really just for having a meal with God. That is amazing to me. Amazing. So it's more of a sacrifice of praise. Any foreigner could t uh, participate in these, uh, in the, the, the feasts that we said. Remember, they just had to take the sign of the covenant, which was circumcision. Okay, so can you imagine a grown man saying, okay, are, you're sure I don't need this? Like this, I, I have to be circumcised in order to uh, be part of this Jewish festival? Uh, that would be, that's a big deal. But it has to do with um, having no confidence in your flesh. Like God says, th this is going to be the sign uh, that you are, are my people. So anyone who um, had the sign of the covenant could be circumcised. We're going to talk about covenant next week. I'm so excited. We saved the best for last. Uh, the sacrificial system uh, just represented the life of the sacrifice, which is in the blood. The life is in the blood for the life of the sacrificer. It was um, a life for, represented a life. Sometimes you had individual sacrifices, but sometimes you had sacrifices on behalf of the whole community. The morning and evening sacrifices were on behalf of the whole community, so it would be the life of the community. Uh, this, it really it demonstrates that this is important to God that you deal with sin, and how amazing it is that he gave them a way to, to deal with their sin. Also, there's... Um, there's a few verses in the Bible that talk about how you shouldn't bring something to God that, cost, that didn't cost you anything. So we talked a little bit about the bread last week, <clears throat> uh, or the, the grain, the first fruits of the grain sacrifice. That was, that was a one-time thing that you would, you would bring the whole sheaf uh, of grain as your representative of the whole thing. But very often... Most times, you, you would bake it or you would fry it, always without leaven, because leaven was the symbol of, um, it was representative of sin. 
except for one time. I did forget to say this last week. Pentecost uh, was the only time that you could have, uh, you would celebrate with a bread that had leaven in it because it was the, you had two loaves at Pentecost and it represented the mixing of the, um, when, when the Holy Spirit was given, that was the mixing of the, the Jews and the Gentiles together. That was the only time that you um, could allow to have leaven in your, in your grain sacrifice. But the, um, if you brought bread, obviously you had to do something to it. If you brought wine, you, there's a process. There's a part that you had to do that cost you something uh, that you brought before God. There's a, a verse uh, in 2 Samuel uh, where David says, I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord that cost me nothing. So David bought the whole threshing floor and the oxen. <laughs> um, and so he, he wanted to feel the cost of something that he brought before God. So just as uh, leaven was a symbol of corruption, you would never offer your... your um, I'd probably use the word offerings and sacrifices interchangeably, but obviously a sacrifice would be an animal that was sacrificed, but it's something that you bring to God. Uh, just as that was a symbol of corruption, the leaven, you would never do that. A new concept that we'll learn this week is that salt was always a symbol of permanence. So everything was salted. So then you think about, oh, wait a minute, I, th I think I remember hearing about salt in the New Testament. This is a great study if you want to study uh, the salt of the covenant. It was interesting how it was just a symbol of permanence. So uh, I read in one of my commentaries that if someone broke uh, their covenant with someone else, this, this, the Jewish people would say, well, I guess my covenant had no salt. That was just their way. It's a cultural reference of them. The salt added permanence. So everything was salted uh, when, they, when they offered it. And, and so if you do a Google search on or a, some kind of a Bible search on salt, it's very interesting to see uh, how that, as many times as it's used, and we, uh, we don't get the cultural reference. All right, so those are just some basic, uh, basic categories, and we're, now we're going to get into some specifics on the, uh, the process. I think I wrote it on your notes just so you could have. Who did what? The person who did the sacrificing did the laying on of hands. And remember, that wasn't, you weren't transferring your sin. That was only done one time at the day, or once a year, on the Day of Atonement for the scapegoat the sins would be transferred. This was just more of representative. This represents me, okay? So the person that was sacrificing would lay their hands on the animal. They would quick, quick um, get like the jugular and the blood pressure and the animal would drop. It was quick and done. Online, they'll show a picture of the knife that was used and it had to be very sharp because there, you weren't, um, you didn't want to prolong this death and the sheer number of animals that they were sacrificing. I, I just can't even imagine it. Then the person that was sacrificing had to cut it up and wash out the inward parts. And um, then the priest did the rest. There's the catching of the blood. There was different ways that you would apply the blood to different things. 
He would, he would do all of that, do the fire, the wood. Think of how much wood they needed to keep this. And they had to keep uh, fire burning continually. And so anything else is done. So then in the morning, you know, you'd have all these ashes and you'd have to clean out the ashes. So there was a lot of work for the priests to do continually. This was their whole job, is to do the sacrificial system. Now we know in uh, Leviticus, we'll talk a, a little bit about the blood before we get into this, that the, the Bible says, do not eat the blood because the life is in the blood. That was the representative piece. The life is in the blood. Even in the New Testament, when they were determining if the, if the Gentiles had to keep the Jewish law, they determined, nope, they don't have to do it. But there was a couple stipulations, and one of them was, but just, you know, don't eat the blood. Like, that was still a very important thing to them. All right, how can the blood be cleansing? Um, 1 John 1, 7 says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Okay, so let's think more about like the blood that's inside of our body. When you get sick, your blood cleanses um, you from the sickness, right? There, like, we had a homeschool mom here who had gone through um, some of, you know, the how the body works, they could explain to us exactly what the white blood cells do. And, but there's a way that the white blood cells will capture the bacteria in your system and get it out of your system, okay? So think about that as that's how your blood, uh, that's how it would be cleansing and that it would purify uh, what was going on inside. I'd really love to think, uh, and I've, I've been thinking through an analogy of like when you when you're saved it's a it's like a bit of a blood transfusion right like you you take Jesus blood obviously it's just a metaphor but there's something there that um, there's some way in that metaphor I'm still working it through that I think would help us to understand this piece how the blood cleanses us those are the things that I think about <laughs> How would that work? I have to sit down and write it through. Okay, so just briefly, the blood was applied in different ways. You had the, you had the priest that would catch um, some of the blood in a basin, and he would take it, you know, and some of it would throw. You'd throw it on the altar like that. When it talks about sprinkling... This is what I read, this is how it's done, is they would dip the, their finger in the blood and then with their finger and their thumb, that would be how they would sprinkle it, okay? That's what I read on how they did it. Uh, when they did, there was very specific ones, ways to do it. When they did the Passover lamb, they poured the blood out, which is very important uh, when Jesus says in Matthew 28, this is the blood, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. It was a very specific type of a sacrifice that was offered. And when we don't know how some of these things come together, some of those little pieces we miss. So those are, we talked last week a little bit about cultural references. There's some very specific things that when you know them, it, it will help you 
understand your uh, New Testament Bible reading a little bit more. When the blood touched the altar, that's when um, you were atoned for. So it wasn't the sacrifice that was holy. It was the altar that was holy. Very specific rules on how that was all to be done. Leviticus 17.11 says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it's the blood that makes atonement by the life. So this is a principle that we're... that we still, um, obviously we're not doing the sacrifices, but that's what we believe about Jesus. Jesus is the better sacrifice it talks about in Hebrews. All right, the very specific things we'll talk about now. Burnt offering. I would say, okay, I would say there's four main offerings. This is one of the ways where we're going to get into the highway, freeway, <coughs> tollway situation where uh, I would say there's four main ones. Different people would categorize them different ways. The grain offering was offered with all of these other um, offerings. So I'm not going to count that as a separate category. I have four main categories. And then you often had one that was just called um, a meat offering, or it ba basically was anything that you would eat was the, the, the meat offering. That's another category. We're not going um, to talk about that. I'm just going to talk about the four uh, main ones, which would be uh, the burnt offering, the peace offering, the peace offering, that's my favorite, the sin offering, and then the guilt offering. I think I just wrote those out briefly for you on your thing so that you had, those are the ones we're going to talk about. The burnt offering is interesting. The very first time we see this, um, Noah talks about the burnt offering. Uh, he was the first one. That's the first place where we read it that he offered to God. The basic idea of the burnt offering was just um, to be allowed into God's presence. So... It was, this is how you restored a right relationship with God. So they were burning morning and evening just to be um, in God's presence. The Hebrew term suggests an ascending sacrifice. So you think about, I think, um, I know I've been out a couple times here in the spring, and as I'm outside walking, you smell somebody who's grilling out. And it smells lovely, doesn't it? <laughs> And so the, uh, the, the idea of that, this ascending offering, is that the burnt offering would ascend, not, not as food for God, like the, um, the, the pagans would um, assume for their gods. But this was almost um, just the way that you would call on God to get God's attention. So the ascending sacrifice, it talks about... Uh, let's see, how many times, I have it written down somewhere, how many times God said it was um, this sacrifice um, was a pleasing aroma. Here, here it is, 40 times in the Old Testament. God declares how pleasing the aroma of the burnt offering was. And so that was, it's an image of, that represents God's satisfaction in experiencing proper worship of him. 
So you would offer this as just, remember I said there's a way that you needed to prepare yourself before you're going into worship, and this is just, this offering would be just for, to be in God's presence. Uh, Moses also uh, talked to Pharaoh. So obviously there was the some kind of sacrifices that were going on before we have the specific instructions on Mount Sinai. But Moses said to Pharaoh, uh, you must allow us to go have sacrifices and burnt offerings. So normally the burnt offering would come first as you're calling on God, and then you would do your other offerings after that. But that was the one that was going day and night. That was how you um, would get back. You would um, be in God's presence. So this is interesting. Have you ever smelled burning hair? It's really so that was the only thing. So it's called the whole burnt offering, but they skinned it first. The skins went to the priest, and because um, that would just be, that would not be a pleasing aroma, would it? <laughs> and no part of this was eaten. So think whole burnt offering, the whole thing was consumed. It was, uh, it was all for God. There's very specific animals uh, that you can use, and then obviously no children. This was other cultures did, they offered children. And so we learn about with, um, in the Old Testament, initially God asks for an offering with Isaac, but uh, the point is, this, this is not how we're going to do this with kids. How sad is that <clears throat> for these other communities? So this is the one that was often done before the peace offering, which is my favorite. Remember I said that? Wait till you learn about this one. All right, let me look. I'm going to read you a, a, a verse on, um, on the burnt offering from Ephesians. Um. I just have written in my notes that the whole burnt offering is a symbol that Jesus gave himself up for us wholly. Obviously, he, there, no part of Jesus' body was burned, but it's a symbol that he gave himself up for us wholly. Ephesians 5.2 says, And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. So when you think of that fragrant offering to God, that's what this was. The, that was the burnt offering. And then the symbolism is going to be that uh, the earth is going to be destroyed by fire in the end, just like the, the flood uh, destroyed the earth to begin. Um, the things are going to be completely uh, cleansed with fire. Let's see if I have anything else down here. Just also, it was a, it was a way to express a worshipful response to the Lord and with the accompanying offerings with it. So it always had salt with it because this is a permanent thing. That's the symbol. Okay, if we talk about the peace offering, that's the next one. This is something you do after that, after you call um, on God. So the peace offering, you want to think about Thanksgiving dinner. That is what the peace offering was. It would be a time, it would be like a sacrifice of praise when you read that in the New Testament, you want to think, this is the peace offering. Sometimes it's called the fellowship offering, where you would have fellowship. Uh, this was the way that people had the opportunity for close communion with the Lord. 
and there's all kinds of references that we can make uh, with our communion. This is the um, a peace offering was what you did if you were going to um, make a covenant with someone because you would never eat with someone that you weren't um, complete in complete unity with and on good terms with. This was um, where you would take whatever animal it was and you would take it and sacrifice it. The priest would get part of it. That's how the, that's how the priests ate. Um, there's a note that I'm going to make um, in a little bit, but it just reminded me. There are times when the priest would eat part of the sacrifice as a way of bearing the sin of the people. Uh, I'm going to run into that verse a little bit later on. But the purpose of the peace offering was just, uh, it was a meal that you could share uh, as thanks to God for his blessings, for his, for everything, um, just honoring him. It was just a meal that you had before God and you could just share it with your family. Isn't that an amazing thing? And I, um, I have read that that's, what the pilgrims based the first Thanksgiving in America on is this idea of just a big community meal. So that's what you want to think of when you think of the peace offering. When uh, in uh, Mount Sinai, when the elders made the covenant with God, remember this is the time where they went and ate and drank with God. Remember that strange verse and you're like, but no one can see God. They were in, somehow they were in his presence, and that was uh, the peace offering. The sin offering, this was done uh, for unintentional sins. We're going to talk a little bit in the fact that there really was no sacrifice for willful disobedience. This was for, the sin offering was for purification. Uh, it was to purify the sanctuary from sin that was committed unintentionally. There was a lot of rules for the priests to follow, right? Sometimes things would get mixed up and this was an offering that you could say, if we did something in the wrong order, if we treated something um, that should have been holy, if we treated it casually, this was the sin offering. And then you had the, um, you had the, just like if you had your period, you would need to wait until the time um, to um, to go through the ritual cleansing uh, after a baby. Um, I'm trying to think if I have some of the other things written down here. The, so, so some of it had to do with the the purification. Sometimes it was just a consecration of um, new priests. Or um, you would do this at the festivals that we talked about. You would do this, you would especially do this on the Day of Atonement. Um, this was just for unintentional sins. This is the sin offering. In the 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, Jesus became sin for us who knew no sin. And that term that means uh, the sin offering. He became that for us so that we could come back into a right relationship with God and then his blood purifies us. 
The last uh, of the main ones was called the guilt offering or the trespass offering or a repara reparation offering. This is a type of a sin offering. Some people put it under this um, category of the sin offering. This is not like as um, I think here in America, we, we tend to say, oh, we feel guilty about things. This is not because of your guilty conscience. This is actually uh, you're guilty of doing something. This is uh, where you had to make restitution to God. Now, remember last week when I said we talked about um, how the people would make restitution with one another before the Day of Atonement? That was, uh, I said it's hard to do with kids just because you don't want kids to think, you don't want kids to become people pleasers, like, oh, what can I do to make it better? But more importantly, you don't want to teach kids to make restitution uh, to God because there's no, that's temple thinking where you would make restitution. You don't want kids to think like, well, what can I do to make this up to God? There's nothing that we can do to make God love us more. He doesn't count our sin against us. Um, that's just the hard, that, I just wanted to explain that piece as that's why I said it's hard to teach kids about making restitution. But this was a very important part of this temple thinking that they could do that. They could, um, you had to bring uh, what you owed them plus 20%. So you had to uh, make restitution. For example, um, when you're, this was what you, uh, a leper would do after he was cleansed. So his part, the thing that he, he was unable to give service to God and so this would, be, um, this would be the offering that he would give as he was unable to uh, do his part for God. If you, had to, if you made a Nazarite vow, which is, um, there's several times in the Old Testament that's talked about, and you forgot to, you, you broke that vow somehow if you touched a dead body or whatever, this is the one that you, this is the offering that you would have to have. This is kind of under the sin offering. Then the, the last piece of that, well, the main one, I would say, is the grain offering that you would bring. And this was um, a way that the priests would eat, too. You would take part of it, part of the grain offering, and um, then the rests were given to the priest. So a grain offering was always a voluntary expression of devotion to God. It represented all we have belongs to God. And um, it, you know, was also symbolic of the manna that God provided for them. You would just bring it back as a reminder of all God had given for you. The grain offering, uh, I would love to taste some of these. They could either be baked or grilled or fried or roasted, kind of as cereal, like granola. There was so many different ways that you could bring a grain offering to God. It was always seasoned. Uh, but it was never sweetened or unleavened, or um, it was unleavened. It was never sweetened because, have you ever made bread? And once you, um, once you get your yeast, what do you use to get the yeast going a little bit? A little, you add a little sugar to it. 
So that just, so it wasn't sweetened because that was um, mixed. It was thought about that's how things would ferment and that was part of the leaven. So, but they were always seasoned. I bet those were some amazing breads <laughs> that were brought. So a portion was burned of the bread and the rest was given to the priest. I think I said that. That term um, for this grain offering um, has to do again with the Hebrew term to remember. We talked about that. It was a very important thing for people to remember what God did for them, who they were because of it, and what they were going to do about that in the future. Um, also rarely mentioned is um, you would also have a drink offering. So it would be wine. It would be about a liter of wine. Incense was burned uh, in, the, in the temple as well. It was offered morning and evening along with the meat offerings. There's a special recipe for the, um, the incense that was to be burned in scripture. And I think that would be so cool to be able to smell that smell that they had in the temple. Now, obviously, they were, it was a very special recipe of herbs, whatever, for their incense. And they were not to use it anywhere else. But since we're not under the old covenant, I think it would be really cool to make up that and to be able to smell what they smelled in the temple. The uh, incense in scripture is very often representing the prayers of uh, the saints. So that's, that's a little bit about what they did. All right, let's talk about, we talked about the different types, and uh, there's really no sacrifice for willful disobedience. We talked a little bit last week about David with his sin with Bathsheba and in the Psalms he's lamenting um, for you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it you would not be pleased with a burnt offering like that's not going to make his sin better they really just had the day of atonement the one day of the year where all the sins were transferred to the scapegoat and they were taken away and that was the day that your conscience was cleansed from all sin. Isn't it amazing that in Hebrews it says um, that Jesus cleanses our conscience from sin? We have, while we still, we still do sin, God doesn't hold it against us. So there's ways that, um, that we personally need to uh, manage um, our sin coming to God for forgiveness. But God does not hold that against us. Another verse in, um, in Numbers 15.30 says, But the person who does anything with a high hand, that's the kind of the thought of the willful disobedient sin, uh, whether he's native or a sojourner. Remember I said the Gentiles, they could be part of that as long as they the, took the sign of the covenant, they could live with the Jews. Uh, anyone who does anything with a high hand reviles the Lord, and that person shall be cut off. From among the people. That was your punishment. Um, in Hebrews, uh, it also talks about the law was just a shadow of the good things to come. Um, that the law can never, by the same sacrifices that were continually offered year by year, make perfect those who draw near to God. That's Hebrews 10.1. So these sacrifices that were continually offered 1,500 years, 
continually offered uh, before God, they could never perfect those who draw near. But it's all a picture. It's a picture of Jesus and all of our, it just shows us all of our sin um, that it needs to be dealt with. And God made a way for that. Uh, Jeremiah talked about in uh, Jeremiah 44, 23, he says to the people, it's because you made offerings and because you sin against God that this disaster has happened to you today. So you made the offerings, but you still sinned against God, whatever this willful disobedience um, was that, got, that took them into captivity. They didn't keep the law that they were supposed to, and that was the punishment. Even though they made the offerings, they also sinned against God and did not obey him or walk in his laws and his statutes. That's why this disaster has come upon them. But even uh, Samuel said to King Saul, you know, to obey is better than to sacrifice. So the sacrifices were available to them, but they should have just been, God gave them the rules to live by. Okay, so how, uh, we've just made a few references to how we can apply this, but let's just talk that through a little bit. I heard a story at Christmas time that I don't, I've never heard before, and I thought, so interesting, and I can't remember where I heard it now, so you guys may have already heard it. But remember when I um, talked about the, the firstborn of the flock was brought to the priest? Um, of, so of all the tribes, they had to redeem the firstborn from their flock and the, their firstborn male. So they probably had a lot of animals that they were taking care of, and it never occurred to me that some of the priests would be shepherds. And it's possible that when the angel appeared to the shepherds to announce Jesus' birth, it's possible that it was those shepherds. That had never occurred to me before. But someone who, I wish I could remember who told me this story, said, if you think about, it's a very curious wording uh, that the angel says, um, you'll see the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, and that will be a sign for you. Okay, well, well, what kind of a sign would that be? And this person told the story about how when the newborn babies uh, of the flock were born, you couldn't, you, you couldn't have any blemishes on them, and you think they didn't have fur to protect them. And so she said that the, they would wrap the animals in the old priestly garments, like the swaddling clothes, and they would keep it up in the manger uh, to keep it safe. So if you knew all that about, the, you knew what was happening with those lambs, they were being, um, they were born for the sacrificial system, and that, and you saw Jesus wrapped like that as a sign, that would, that would be the sign like, this is the lamb that's going to take away the sins of the world. I thought that was, I had never heard that before. Um, I haven't done any research on that, but it makes sense that that's what would happen. So all these different kinds of offerings and sacrifices, they serve as a metaphor for us to illustrate the purpose um, of Christ's death and the, and the complete effectiveness, the fact that he did it all. I think we should also think about um, these Old Testament sacrifices as um, it's, it's not okay to approach God 
in a careful or just a lazy way. I think it's important to God how we come to him, how we prepare our hearts, and how we, um, although we can just come, we can come to God anyway, um, he, he does allow for that. I think at it, it, certain points it is important for us to prepare our hearts for worship. I think that's a, a symbol that we can, we can take out of this. It's very important. Um, I, I still see people today who are caught up in this temple thinking. Have you ever heard anybody say, like, oh, I, I made a deal with God, or I'm going to, you know, God, what can I do for you to, in order to take this away, right? People make deals with God. There's nothing that we can do. You can tell, so, if someone says that, you can say, oh, that's temple thinking. That's what they had. They had to bring something before God. We don't have to bring anything before God um, to be in this covenant relationship, and we're going to talk about covenants next week. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him, Jesus, to be sin for us. He was the sin offering for us who knew no sin, that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. Such an amazing, amazing truth. Uh, Paul talks about in Romans, For what the law was powerless to do, in that it was weakened by sinful nature, God did this by sending his own son in the likeness of a sinful man, to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man. That's the NIV translation that uses that word sin offering in Romans 8.3. So uh, we're going to talk a little bit next week how uh, we can take the sign of the covenant, but uh, here's how it happened for Paul. Uh, when Ananias um, went to Paul, he said, Why wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins. Think about the purifying, how they would um, purify to uh, cleanse their sin and uh, call on Jesus' name. So this is the new sign of the covenant. That it's the re uh, baptism is going to replace that. And then Paul goes on to say in Romans 12.1, I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. That would be a great thing for you to think on this week. What you know about sacrifices, how is it that you are uh, a living sacrifice? That is, um, I think that's a great imagery that we, that we can give our give ourselves wholly to God. So, a question to ask yourself: Am I giving God my first and my best? Right, honoring God with my first fruits that we talked about last week. Am I preparing my heart to meet with Him regularly? I think I'm um, I'm guilty of not doing that, but I want to have that to be uh, at my forefront. That I need to um, prepare myself in order to meet meet with God and then how am I keeping my covenant with God this was how the people in Israel kept their covenant very specific rules it was very hard to do it was tedious I mean if you look at their lives that this was all they did they farmed in order to eat and they had the animals this was their job to be in a relationship with God and so next week we'll talk about you know what's my part 
in um, how am I keeping my covenant with God. Okay, we've gone a little bit long. I've talked a lot. And that's just so much information. Thank you for being patient and sitting through some of that. Is there something I've said that's unclear that you wanted to ask me about? Go ahead. We are taping it. Yes. So that make yes, and just know that makes that wet last week's is on. It makes me very nervous to have all this. <laughs> in permanent um, form. <clears throat> yes, so the, the, it'll be on the website. Great. Okay, so if you have more questions, if I've been confusing, we covered so much information. And like I said, there's highways and byways and freeways that are, that it all kind of comes together. But I just wanted to give you categories that you could have in your head as a, as a young child, I just thought the sacrifices, I thought they were all the same. And so I just wanted to break those up into categories. As you read the New Testament, you'll be like, I know what a sacrifice of praise is. When, when Jesus tells um, uh, the, the people, your sins are forgiven, you should be thinking, wait a minute, that's not how their sins were. This is, there's a whole system for that. There's a sacrifice for that. Um, you, you should be thinking as you read through the New Testament, you've got some different categories that, that can bring up some of the Old Testament system. Okay, if you have questions, you can email me. And we'll do this all again next week. Thanks for being so patient. Let me pray for you. God, thank you for allowing us to meet openly and in safety as we talk about all these important things. God, would you just take everything that I've said and just boil it down uh, to the basics of what these women need in their lives in order to worship you in the way that pleases you. God, would you help us to go through this Easter week just in a thoughtful way and preparing our hearts to worship you. God, I just pray that you would uh, be honored in all of our celebrations and the things that we do for you this week. Um, and, in all the weeks to come. I pray for protection and safety over everyone that's here and that you would just give them energy and new life to speak uh, to other people about the truths of Scripture and the way that it's changed our lives. Amen. Okay, so it's 10.20. How about if you guys pray? Uh, I thought it might be kind of a cool thing if you just um, gather together in your groups. Oh, I've got to figure out a way to pray, you guys, and then whoever wants to pray, um, 